Book One, Chapter Eight of Ben Hur. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Ben Hur, A Tale of the Christ, by Lew Wallace, Book One, Chapter Eight. The reader is now besought to return to the court described as part of the market at the Joppa Gate. It was the third hour of the day, and many of the people had gone away, yet the press continued without apparent abatement. Of the newcomers there was a group over by the south wall, consisting of a man, a woman, and a donkey, which requires extended notice. The man stood by the animal's head, holding a leading-strap, and leaning upon a stick which seemed to have been chosen for the double purpose of goad and staff. His dress was like that of the ordinary Jews around him, except that it had an appearance of newness. The mantle dropping from his head, and the robe or frock which clothed his person from neck to heel, were probably the garments he was accustomed to wear to the synagogue on Sabbath days. His features were exposed, and they told of fifty years of life, a surmise confirmed by the grey that streaked his otherwise black beard. He looked around him with the half-curious, half-vacant stare of a stranger and provincial. The donkey ate leisurely from an armful of green grass, of which there was an abundance in the market. In its sleepy content, the brute did not admit of disturbance from the bustle and clamour about. No more was it mindful of the woman sitting upon its back in a cushioned pillion. An outer robe of dull woollen stuff completely covered her person, while a white wimple veiled her head and neck. Once in a while, impelled by curiosity to see or hear something passing, she drew the wimple aside, but so slightly that the face remained invisible. At length the man was accosted. "'Are you not Joseph of Nazareth?' The speaker was standing close by. "'I am so called,' answered Joseph, turning gravely around. And you, ah, peace be unto you, my friend Rabbi Samuel. The same give I back to you. The rabbi paused, looking at the woman, then added, To you, and unto your house, and all your helpers, be peace. With the last word he placed one hand upon his breast, and inclined his head to the woman, who, to see him, had by this time withdrawn the wimple enough to show the face of one but a short time out of girlhood. Thereupon the acquaintances grasped right hands, as if to carry them to their lips. At the last moment, however, the clasp was let go, and each kissed his own hand, then put its palm upon his forehead. "'There is so little dust upon your garments,' the rabbi said familiarly, "'that I infer you passed the night in this city of our fathers.' "'No,' Joseph replied. As we could only make Bethany before the night came, we stayed in the Khan there, and took the road again at daybreak. "'The journey before you is long, then. Not to Joppa, I hope.' "'Only to Bethlehem.' The countenance of the rabbi, theretofore open and friendly, became lowering and sinister, and he cleared his throat with a growl instead of a cough. "'Yes, yes, I see.' he said. You were born in Bethlehem, and went thither now with your daughter, 
to be counted for taxation as ordered by Caesar. The children of Jacob are as the tribes in Egypt were, only they have neither a Moses nor a Joshua. How are the mighty fallen? Joseph answered, without change of posture or countenance, The woman is not my daughter. But the rabbi clung to the political idea, and he went on, without noticing the explanation. What are the zealots doing down in Galilee? I am a carpenter, and Nazareth is a village, said Joseph cautiously. The street on which my bench stands is not a road leading to any city. Hewing wood and sawing plank leave me no time to take part in the disputes of parties. "'But you are a Jew,' said the rabbi, earnestly. "'You are a Jew, and of the line of David. It is not possible you can find pleasure in the payment of any tax except the shekel given by ancient custom to Jehovah.' Joseph held his peace. "'I do not complain,' his friend continued, "'of the amount of the tax. A denarius is a trifle. Oh, no!' The imposition of the tax is the offence. And besides, what is paying it but submission to tyranny? Tell me, is it true that Judas claims to be the Messiah? You live in the midst of his followers. I have heard his followers say he was the Messiah, Joseph replied. At this point the wimple was drawn aside, and for an instant the whole face of the woman was exposed. The eyes of the rabbi wandered that way, and he had time to see a countenance of rare beauty, kindled by a look of intense interest. Then a blush overspread her cheeks and brow, and the veil was returned to its place. The politician forgot his subject. "'Your daughter is comely,' he said, speaking lower. "'She is not my daughter,' Joseph repeated." The curiosity of the rabbi was aroused, seeing which the Nazarene hastened to say further, "'She is the child of Joachim and Anna of Bethlehem, of whom you have at least heard, for they were of great repute.' "'Yes,' remarked the rabbi, deferentially, "'I know them. They were lineally descended from David. I knew them well.' "'Well, they are dead now,' the Nazarene proceeded." They died in Nazareth. Joachim is not rich, yet he left a house and garden to be divided between his daughters Marion and Mary. This is one of them, and to save her portion of the property, the law required her to marry her next of kin. She is now my wife. And you were? Her uncle. Yes, yes. And as you were both born in Bethlehem, the Roman compels you to take her there with you to be also counted. The rabbi clasped his hands and looked indignantly to heaven, exclaiming, The God of Israel still lives. The vengeance is his. With that he turned and abruptly departed. A stranger nearby, observing Joseph's amazement, said quietly, Rabbi Samuel is a zealot. Judas himself is not more fierce. Joseph, not wishing to talk with the man, appeared not to hear, and busied himself gathering in a little heap the grass which the donkey had tossed abroad, after which he leaned upon his staff again, and waited. 
In another hour the party passed out the gate, and, turning to the left, took the road into Bethlehem. The descent into the valley of Hinnom was quite broken, garnished here and there with straggling wild olive-trees. Carefully, tenderly, the Nazarene walked by the woman's side, leading strap in hand. On their left, reaching to the south and east round Mount Zion, rose the city wall, and on their right the steep prominences which formed the western boundary of the valley. Slowly they passed the lower pool of Gihon, out of which the sun was fast driving the lessening shadow of the royal hill. Slowly they proceeded, keeping parallel with the aqueduct from the pools of Solomon, until near the site of the country-house on what is now called the Hill of Evil Council. There they began to ascend to the plain of Rephaim. The sun streamed garishly over the stony face of the famous locality, and under its influence Mary, the daughter of Joachim, dropped the wimple entirely and bared her head. Joseph told the story of the Philistines surprised in their camp there by David. He was tedious in the narrative, speaking with the solemn countenance and lifeless manner of a dull man. She did not always hear him. Wherever on the land men go, and on the sea ships, the face and figure of the Jew are familiar. The physical type of the race has always been the same, yet there have been some individual variations. Now he was ruddy, and withal of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. Such was the son of Jesse when brought before Samuel. The fancies of men have been ever since ruled by the description. Poetic license has extended the peculiarities of the ancestor to his notable descendants. So all our ideal Solomons have fair faces, and hair and beard chestnut in the shade, and of the tint of gold in the sun. Such, we are also made to believe, were the locks of Absalom the Beloved. And, in the absence of authentic history, tradition has dealt no less lovingly by her whom we are now following down to the native city of the ruddy king. She was not more than fifteen. Her form, voice, and manner belonged to the period of transition from girlhood. Her face was perfectly oval, her complexion more pale than fair. The nose was faultless. The lips, slightly parted, were full and ripe, giving to the lines of the mouth warmth, tenderness, and trust. The eyes were blue and large, and shaded by drooping lids and long lashes, and, in harmony with all, a flood of golden hair, in the style permitted to Jewish brides, fell unconfined down her back to the pillion on which she sat. The throat and neck had the downy softness sometimes seen, which leaves the artist in doubt whether it is an effect of contour or colour. To these charms of feature and person were added others more indefinable, an air of purity which only the soul can impart, and of abstraction natural to such as think much of things impalpable. Often, with trembling lips, she raised her eyes to heaven, itself not more deeply blue. Often she crossed her hands upon her breast, as in adoration and prayer. Often she raised her head like one listening eagerly for a calling voice. Now and then, midst his slow utterances, Joseph turned to look at her, and, 
catching the expression kindling her face as with light, forgot his theme, and with bowed head, wondering, plodded on. So they skirted the great plain, and at length reached the elevation Mar Elias, from which, across a valley, they beheld Bethlehem, the old, old house of bread, its white walls crowning a ridge, and shining above the brown scumbling of leafless orchards. They paused there, and rested, while Joseph pointed out the places of sacred renown. Then they went down into the valley to the well, which was the scene of one of the marvellous exploits of David's strong men. The narrow space was crowded with people and animals. A fear came upon Joseph, a fear lest, if the town were so thronged, there might not be house-room for the gentle Mary. Without delay he hurried on, past the pillar of stone marking the tomb of Rachel, up the garden slope, saluting none of the many persons he met on the way, until he stopped before the portal of the Khan that then stood outside the village gates, near a junction of roads. End of chapter.